Welcome to the History of Chemistry podcast. I'm Steve Cohen, your host, and this is episode 86, Turnabout is Fair Play, on Oscillating Reactions and Non-Equilibrium Thermodynamics. Thanks to those who already support this podcast. Support the continuation of this podcast at Patreon. Supporters of this podcast can download a supplemental sheet that diagrams some of the reactions I mention in this episode. The website is www.patreon.com forward slash the history of chemistry. Thermodynamics was a popular topic for the next 50 or so years after being formulated by Clausius in the mid-1800s, especially for chemistry when Josiah Gibbs created the idea of free energy. You might think that the topic stagnated, but thermodynamics became, well, a dynamic topic again in the later 20th century, with some very peculiar sets of chemical reactions discovered, especially in the 1950s. Let's begin keeping in mind the ideas of entropy, that is, the amount of disorder in a system, which always must increase, plus free energy, which always tends toward a minimum in a system. These help us predict which way a chemical reaction goes, and if it is spontaneous. A German scientist, Gustav Theodor Fechner, reported in 1828 an electrochemical reaction that, most oddly, oscillated. His report concerned the anodic dissolving of nickel metal in nitric acid, and he noted how the electroscope connected to it oscillated. With time, more of these sorts of weird reactions were discovered For example, in 1899, when Ostwald found a similar one, in which chromium dissolved alternately faster and slower in acid. Both reactions, you may note, are solid metals in liquid acid solution, and no one found such an oscillating reaction entirely in a liquid state. So, chemists thought such an all-liquid, homogeneous, oscillating reaction was impossible. Not long after Ostwald, an American scientist named Alfred Lotka was interested in similar oscillations during the 1910s and 1920s. Perhaps his most famous work, done independently of and almost simultaneously to Italian Vito Volterra, related to oscillating populations of animals, a predator species that eats a prey species. Today, their model is called the Lotka-Volterra model, or the predator-prey model, and consists of three chemical steps. 1. A plus X makes 2X, which means that some common molecule A combines with another molecule X and the combination creates two of molecule X. You might think of this as grass plus a prey animal like a rabbit makes more rabbits. 2. X plus Y gives 2Y, which means that molecule X 
meets another molecule Y, which makes two Y molecules. Or think of it that a rabbit meets a lynx, the lynx eats the rabbit, and now you can have two lynxes. 3. Y makes P, which means that molecule Y converts into product P. Or think of it as a lynx dies and becomes a carcass. None of these reactions has a reversible step. They may only go forward. You, or a chemist doing kinetics, can write down differential equations for how the predator species Y and the prey species X grow and shrink over time. It turns out that the populations are closely linked. Even more interesting is that the populations are autocatalytic. That is, as the population of each grows, the rate of growth can grow. While the system really isn't valid chemically, it has been useful to describe ecosystems. The first actual system that runs completely in the liquid state was found by Americans William Bray and his student Hermann Leibhofsky in the 1920s. This is the reaction of iodate ion, IO3-, iodine, and hydrogen peroxide. The hydrogen peroxide in the reaction breaks up into oxygen molecules and water molecules. Measurements showed that the amount of oxygen gas and iodine molecules evolved during the reaction were nearly periodic, but chemists really didn't believe the results. Naysayers claimed that there was dust or even bubbles that skewed results, and so this reaction was ignored as an oscillation for half a century, even when Bray noted using highly filtered solutions to remove all dust and careful stirring to avoid bubbles. This reaction became called the Bray-Leibhofsky reaction. We move to 1950 in the Soviet Union, and scientist Boris Belusov, who was seeking a model system to emulate the complicated biochemical cycle called the Krebs cycle. The Krebs cycle is a series of chemical reactions including citric acid by respiring animals to generate energy, along with some important chemicals needed for life. The whole series of reactions runs in a big recurrent loop, hence it is a cycle, which was fully elucidated in 1937 by German-British scientist Hans Krebs. Belusov's model for the Krebs cycle was bromate ions, BRO3-, citric acid, and cerium plus 4 ions in sulfuric acid solution. The idea was to watch how the yellow cerium-4 plus ions were reduced to colorless cerium-3 plus ions during the reaction. Instead, Belusov saw that the yellow color went away, then returned, and continued to cycle back and forth. Even in a graduated cylinder, waves of yellow traveled through the solution. Belusov tried for years to publish his results but journal editors refused to take his experiments seriously. In 1961, a graduate student, Anatole Jabotinsky, tried the same thing and was able to reproduce results. He improved the system with malonic instead of citric acid. 
Both Belusov and Jabotinsky used a chemical called ferroin to enhance the color changes. So instead of trying to see a change from pale yellow to clear, using ferroin, the reduced solution is red, and the oxidized solution is light blue, which is much easier to see. Jabotinsky continued to improve the system, finding that even cerium ions were unnecessary, and ferroin itself was able to catalyze the oscillations. Hence, we see a chemical system in which the colors change in time and also change in space. I demonstrated this reaction to freshmen, first-year students, when I was a teaching assistant in the freshman chemistry laboratories at Rice University. Procuring the reactants and placing them into petri dishes, you see circular rings of red and blue slowly sweeping across the thin layer of solution. It's a fascinating, eerie thing to watch. During the 1960s, Jabotinsky published some papers on the topic in Russian. The system became called the Belusov-Jabotinsky reaction, and the first paper in English appeared in 1967. A conference on oscillating reactions was held in 1968 in Prague, Czechoslovakia, and the proceedings of the results finally appeared in English in 1973. Only then did Western researchers start taking the oscillating reaction seriously. At this time, Richard Noyes at the University of Oregon and his student Kumud Sharma started examining the Bray-Lipovsky reaction. To decipher what kinetics might be going on, current understanding suggests a linked loop of eight different reactions happening simultaneously, creating and destroying the various reactants and products. What was the resistance in the chemical community? To accepting the existence of these oscillating reactions, it boiled down to a misunderstanding of thermodynamics, specifically the second law of thermodynamics, which says that entropy must increase within an isolated chemical system or the universe in general. Many chemists looked at the oscillating amounts of reactants in an oscillating reaction as something like the swing of a pendulum. The pendulum moves away from equilibrium and back, crossing an equilibrium point. Well, that's just not possible for a chemical reaction. You can't go back and forth from and toward true thermodynamic equilibrium spontaneously. The reaction only goes in one direction: increased entropy and decreased free energy. A chemical oscillator is not like a pendulum. And never reaches equilibrium, only to magically reverse itself away from equilibrium because of some kind of alleged chemical inertia. Instead, the intermediate chemical species themselves may increase and decrease in concentration on a cyclical basis, but always the free energy drops and the entropy rises continuously, albeit in a non-linear way. The original reactants, with lots of free energy, inevitably get converted to a lower free energy set of products. Not realizing this was the mistake the naysayers made. Another way to model an oscillating reaction is a bottle of water. Tip it slightly—that is, 
just away from equilibrium of sitting quietly on a table, and water will pour out in a gentle way. Turn the bottle sideways, and the water pours out, gushing in a periodic, oscillating way, far from equilibrium. A founder of this approach to thermodynamics was the Russian-Belgian chemist Ilya Prigozhin in the 1950s. When we speak of classical thermodynamics, founded by Clausius, Gibbs, and others in the mid to late 19th century, we are discussing thermodynamics of systems at or near equilibrium. A slight change away from equilibrium is easily modeled, but in 1955, Prigozhin described features of non-equilibrium thermodynamics when a chemical system is so far away from equilibrium that classical 19th-century descriptions can fail. One type of system Prigozhin described is the dissipative system. Here is a physical system that is far from equilibrium. Can exchange matter and energy with its environment, and often complex internal structures appear spontaneously. One example is a tornado, and its cousin a hurricane. Another is a physical system we've mentioned already in episode seventy-four, a laser which has atoms all far from equilibrium in high-energy states. Obviously, a Belousov-Jabotinsky reaction. Can fall into this category, and even more important is a living creature also far from equilibrium, which is death. Let's look at living organisms from a viewpoint of chemical thermodynamics. A living creature is highly organized, whether a bacterium or a person. With specific structures inside that do specific functions for the creature, the creature takes in matter and perhaps energy by eating, photosynthesizing, seeing, breathing. The creature excretes waste products and heat. Intake and expulsion mean exchanging matter and energy with the surrounding environment. Clearly, a live organism is far, far from equilibrium. And death is a process to approach equilibrium. People who refuse to believe in real and demonstrable evolution of life often say that thermodynamics doesn't allow for the spontaneous creation of life. What they forget is that the entire universe's entropy must rise and free energy must fall. A living creature is not an isolated system. Locally, the entropy may fall, and creatures can live. Overall, the entire universe's entropy rises as the creature lives and excretes waste. And the poet John Donne was thermodynamically right: no man is an island. And so the same with oscillating reactions. For an oscillating reaction to continue forever, you need infinite input of reactants. Even a Belousov-Jabotinsky reaction will stop in a petri dish. When all reactants are used up, we'll be right back. Hi, and welcome to Hiss and Tell, a cat podcast where we delve deep into the fascinating world of feline behavior with your host, me, Christina Wilson, a professional animal behaviorist. 
Each episode features insightful discussions with leading veterinarians, dedicated researchers and scientists, experts in cat behavior and training, and so much more. Join me as we decode the complexities of pet loss, unravel the mysteries of feline health and behavior, and discover the latest research findings. I'll meet you at Hiss and Tell. Prigogine's work in non-equilibrium thermodynamics led him and René Lefebvre to come up with a working chemical model for such an oscillating reaction in 1967, which was called the Brussels Oscillator, and within a few years condensed into the name Brussellator. This process has four steps. 1. Reactant A converts to intermediate X. 2. Reactant B plus intermediate X makes intermediates Y and D. 3. Two molecules of intermediate X plus intermediate Y make three intermediate molecules of X. 4. One intermediate molecule X converts to product E. Prigogine and Lefebvre demonstrated that this model matches some behavior like the Belousov-Jabotinsky reaction, which began to convince chemists that oscillating reactions could organize into waves spontaneously. Here is when American scientists began to consider such reactions. A new PhD, Richard Field, started a postdoctoral stint with Richard Noyes, whom I already mentioned. A chemical theorist named Robert Mazo came back from a year in Belgium working with Ilya Prigogine and gave a talk about the Belousov-Jabotinsky reaction. It turns out that if you put the reactants into a graduated cylinder without stirring, you get bands of colors spontaneously. So after Mazo's talk, Noyes asked if, after stirring the reactants in a graduated cylinder, the bands would appear. The chemists tried it, and the bands definitely appeared, and so Field and Noyes began to research the mechanism for the Belousov-Jabotinsky reaction. Just at that time, a Hungarian chemist, Endre Kurosh, arrived in Noyes' lab for iodine reaction research, but changed his mind after seeing the Belousov-Jabotinsky reaction. By 1972, the trio Field, Noyes, and Kurush published a mechanism that worked with 20 different chemical steps and became called the FKN mechanism. Simultaneously, a mathematical biologist named Arthur Winfrey, who was at the Prague conference, became interested in oscillating reactions for biological purposes, specifically formation of patterns in living creatures whether spots on leopards, stripes on zebras, cardiac rhythms and arrhythmia, and even the self-organization of colonies of mold. He took some classic photos of the spiral waves of color in a dish of Belousov-Jabotinsky reaction, which appeared on the cover of Science magazine in 1972. This attracted feels and noises attention, and they published an explanation of pattern development. The problem with the FKN mechanism was that it was nearly impossible for then-existing electronic computers 
to analytically handle. With 20 different steps and all the different but simultaneously varying concentrations of reactants and intermediates, computers simply had not enough memory to deal with it. So field and noise were able to simplify their mechanism down to three different chemical concentrations, but retained the basic process and published this mechanism in 1974. This new model was called the Oregonator, originating at the University of Oregon. Even in the mid-1970s, with all the research into mechanisms for oscillating reactions, only two systems were known, the Bray-Libhovsky reaction and the Belousov-Jabotinsky reaction. Slight variations on them were being discovered, but these two were it. Between 1976 and 1978, American chemists Irving Epstein and Kenneth Custin at Brandeis University uncovered a few inorganic reactions that were autocatalytic and tried to get funding for projects to create new oscillating reactions. Their work was rejected for funding several times until 1979 when they got money. Meanwhile, a team led by Adolphe Pacot in France was experimenting with apparatus well-known to chemical engineers, but not to chemists. The continuous flow stirred tank reactor, which allows you to feed in reactants while stirring them together in the tank and allowing the products to escape. This fulfills the requirement for adding matter to the reaction to keep it oscillating. With this idea, two of the French group, Patrick de Kepper and Jacques Boissonnade, created a model using a chemical system in two states in such a tank reactor for creating oscillations in 1980. De Kepper came to Brandeis, and in 1981, he, plus Epstein and Custin, published the first deliberately designed oscillating reaction using arsenite, ASO3- ion, iodate ion, and chloride ion. As I mentioned, Winfrey the biologist was interested in pattern formation and now much attention turned in the chemical community toward how biological patterns might spontaneously appear based on chemical oscillations in living systems. In a weird example of another interplay of chemistry and computing, the early computer theorist and Englishman Alan Turing published a paper in 1952 called The Chemical Basis of Morphogenesis on how patterns on living creatures, like stripes or spots, can appear if modeled by two diffusing chemicals, and how they interact to form a periodic pattern. Examples of this process are now known in the giant pufferfish. They appear to work for patterns of where feathers and hair follicles appear, perhaps also human fingerprints, and forecast the placement of tooth cusps in small mammals. But Turing's work was a model and never actually seen until 1990 when Patrick de Kepper and co-workers found a real Turing pattern in a chemical reaction. In our next episode, we explore several new strands of study 
in the field of ion compounds, both liquid and solid. Until then, brave the elements! Thank you for listening to the History of Chemistry podcast.